0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. We started a new series last week called The Message of Christmas. And what we really wanted to do in these three weeks is we wanted to, I guess, remind ourselves and refocus on what Christmas is really about. Because I understand the hustle, the bustle, the presence, all those types of things. But how many know that Jesus is the reason for the season? And it's not just the saying that that we say, it's the truth. He is the reason for the season. We celebrate the birth, the incarnation, God becoming flesh. This is beautiful. This is the very beginning of the salvation message. From incarnation, he lives his life, goes to crucifixion and then resurrection, and we have this beautiful story of love lived out. This is a life of love lived out. So God wanted to be with us, wanted to experience what we experience, be part of that experience, even unto death, but then in death, defeat death, the grave, the enemy, and say, here's a brand new way of living. So last week, we looked at this idea of being redeemed. The word redeemed means to buy back out of slavery. You know, before Jesus, humanity was enslaved to the bondage of sin. What does it mean? That means that the way that we live life for the most part, whether it was from empire to religion to just day-to-day life, it was built on murder, anger, retribution, this whole idea of getting back at people an eye for an eye, this idea. And Jesus came to show us a brand new way. In fact, it wasn't necessarily a new way. It was the way that God created things to function and the way we're supposed to function in life, and that is through love and through peace. It's awesome. What Jesus did is he came and he redeemed us. He bought us back out of that slavery. Say, I've been redeemed. If you're a believer here today, if you believed on that redemption, then you have been redeemed. What does that mean? You've been forgiven of sin. You've been brought back into the family. Not only were you forgiven of sin, you were set free from the bondage of sin. And not only that, you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the apostle said this, that God doesn't live in temples made with human hands. Why? Because now he resides in us. This is a huge deal, to realize that God is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's on life's journey with you, and not just to help you, but to eventually get you past yourself to look outward to others. This is what the kingdom of God, this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. This is the message of Christmas. That is why Jesus was born. So we were redeemed. Now today I want to look at a different aspect, and it's the idea of being restored. Let's look in Psalm chapter 51. Now how many know that the Psalms were actually songs? This was like a songbook. This is like their hymn book. They would take from this and they would sing. And King David, how many are familiar with King David? He wrote a lot of the Psalms. This is a Psalm that he wrote after the prophet Nathan came to him. What happened was he committed adultery with a woman. And after committing adultery, he wanted her so bad and to hide his sin that he sent her husband to the front lines to die. Now, that's not a good place to amen. That's not how we function in life. But in this Psalm, he wrote this basically saying, Lord, forgive me. Now, this is the thing about David that blows my mind, is that even though he lived in an Old Covenant, Old Testament way of thinking, he saw God differently than most. He did see God as love. He saw God as a forgiver. And so he would seek after God and say, God, I seek your forgiveness. And he says this in verse 12 of Psalm 51. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. And what I love about this is he's asking for restoration. But not restoration to his own salvation, restoration to God's salvation, and to God's generous spirit. How many know salvation can only come from the Lord? So sometimes I've been I've made the mistake of saying something about my salvation, Uh uh-uh. It's his salvation for me. Big difference. So he's talking about restoration. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. How many here could say, I could sing that song some days? Lord, please restore to me the joy of salvation, because I don't feel very joyful. In fact, I've forgotten about that salvation. What is salvation? It's healing, wholeness, deliverance, preservation, safety, here and now. That's what he's provided for us. But how many of us sometimes just don't walk in it because we get focused on other things? So we maybe should sing this song, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So let's continue in our series, The Message of Christmas, and talk about this idea of being restored. Are you with me? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, redeemed from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. I pray for those who have made that decision to believe in that redemption, and even for those who maybe haven't yet, that maybe today is their day of salvation. We thank you for the redemption. We also thank you for restoration. I pray that as we look at this idea today of being restored, that we would see things differently. Repentance would happen. We would change our minds, and we would turn and go the direction that you're wooing us to go, and we would realize the restoration that you've brought now to our lives, that we can walk it out, we can live it out, and we can reach others with restoration. We thank you, Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. Several years ago, when we were at the old building over on Thompson Road, how many are familiar with that? We had rehearsals for the worship band, and Kristen and I were both in the band at that time. I wasn't pastoring, and Kristen actually wasn't the worship leader. She just would back up, sing, and things like that. And uh, so we had these rehearsals, but they were during the week, the middle of the week. I think they might have been on Thursday nights. But either way, we were walking out one night, getting ready to leave, and we're saying byes and, and, and hugs and all that to people. And we get in our car, and we start up, and we get ready to go. And we turn out of the parking lot, we get on Thompson, heading towards Fenton, and we're just, you know, cruising along, had a good worship rehearsal, it was awesome and everything. And all of a sudden, Kristen says, whoa, whoa, stop, stop. I'm like, stop, I'm driving down Thompson Road. She's like, I think I see something moving. Well, sure enough, there was some deer that had ran across the street. Well, I thought, I better stop, so I I start to slow down. Well, this one deer had stopped literally in the the oncoming traffic lane about 30 years, 30 years, 30 yards, 30 years ahead of me, like... I'm outside of time. It's like 30 yards ahead of me, and I saw it. And isn't it the craziest thing when at night, when your lights hit an animal, you know, across the, their eyes, it like glows, it has that glowing. I remember this vividly. I saw the eyes glow, and the first thing I thought is, I don't want to hit this deer because they jack up cars. How many, how many have experienced this? So I start to slow down, and we get about 20 yards away, and I'm going, you know, I should have just stopped, but I was going slow because I didn't want to startle this deer. It was just sitting there and staring at us. We get about 10 yards away, and I'm just this little coast, and I thought, okay, I don't want to startle the deer. Well, guess what? I startled the deer. Don't know how, but I was hoping that the deer would be startled and run across the street and then I'd be safe. No, it ran directly at us. So it's running directly at us. Now, you know, now we have this on our on our iPhones and and these different phones. We have that slow-mo mode. It's pretty cool, right? Why is it that we go in the slow-mo mode when like tragedy or trauma happens. I, I saw this in slow motion. I'm like, no. And I saw the eyes, they're glowing and glaring from the light. It, it, it dashes right towards us, hits the fender, continues to slide down the side of my car, busts the mirror off. I think it's when it broke its neck. It's ro- Should I say it in church? I know it's horrible. It's sad. Bambi. It, it commences to to hit both doors and then roll off into the ditch. And I'm like, what just happened? So I'm still coasting and I hear my wife say, stop, honey, stop. I'm like, what? She goes, you're still going. So I finally stopped. I was in shock. And I get out and I look. Now, in this, in this shock time here, it wasn't very long. Somebody had pulled up, right? Remember this? They pulled up in a truck, strapped the deer to their truck and took off. And I thought, well, bless you, brother. Just sowing some meat into the family there. Venison for the next year, you're welcome. But I remember the next day getting up and looking at the damage, and I just, I was blown away at how much damage this, this deer caused. I remember talking to the insurance adjuster, and they're asking me questions. They're like, So, now when you hit the deer, and this, and when you hit the deer, and I said, Well, what's up? Actually, the deer hit me. No, the deer hit me. Does that count for anything? Nope. So not only did I get to give venison to a family for the year, I also got to give my insurance company a big deductible to fix my car because I hit the deer, the deer didn't hit me. So I went to a local place it was just up the road from me. And I remember talking to the owner of the place, and he says, you know, your car's black, and, and black's not the easiest color to repair and to fix and feather, and we'll make it look good. I'm just letting you know, and I'm like, wow, that, that really strikes confidence in my heart as to the kind of work you'll do. About a week later, we go back, and it's finished. And he goes, come here, I want you to check something out. So we go back to this room, and he has one specific room where there's lights. It's just lights down both sides. That's all it is. And what he does is he pulls the vehicles in, and as they're repairing and they're looking at them, when the light hits anything, it shows every flaw. So I'm looking at the car, and he says, check this out. And I'm seeing all this bright light, this room of bright light shining off the car, and I'm looking, and it was flawless. Like, he was so impressed at how well they did. But it was. You would never know it was an accident. I mean, from fender to the back, everything was repaired. It was mint. It was shiny. You'd never know. It was like showroom new. I was impressed. I'm like, man, you did a wonderful job. He completely restored this car. I mean, complete restoration. It was fully restored as if nothing had ever happened. And I think about this when I think about my life in Christ no matter what bumps and bruises i've gone through no matter what trauma i've gone through in life no matter what train wrecks i've been in personally jesus comes in and he says can i restore those areas of your life in fact can i restore them to the point where no one would even know they ever existed now, that's pretty amazing Because, see, we look at the idea of being redeemed and we're like, oh, praise the Lord, man. Got a ticket to heaven. I'm good to go. Now let's get through the hell on earth and see if we can. Jesus, come back. Please take us. What he wants to do, though, is he wants to restore those areas in our life. He wants it to be so good that if you run into someone five or eight or ten years later, when they talk to you or they see you, they go, man, something is different about you. Something has changed. I remember the way you used to respond to people. I remember those issues and those hurts in your life. And now it's almost as if they never existed. Are you the same person? Are you the same Andy that I used to know? And it's a perfect opportunity to say, oh yeah, same person, same issues, same train wrecks in life, but see, God restored those areas of my life. And so it's not just about redemption, it's about this idea of restoration, being restored in Christ. The message of Christmas carries the same truth, humanity restored. See, we've been brought back to completeness Brought back to this uninhibited relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it's absolutely beautiful. Now I want us to just look at a parable this morning in Luke chapter 15, if you can turn there. Luke chapter 15. This is probably one of my favorite parables. Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful because Jesus said that he came to show us the heart of the Father. Amen? And so in this parable, we have this father who represents God, who is a father to us, who is our source of life. And as we read through this today, we're just going to take a minute to read read these scriptures. I want us to kind of pick a few things out of here because there's complete restoration involved in this story. And remember this too, when Jesus tells his parables, they're meant to throw us off. They're meant to make us go, huh? tilt. Why? Because it's different than the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God is completely different. He says to love your enemy, pray for those who despitefully use you, turn the other cheek. You're like, Jesus, how can this happen? He also says, I forgive you. Think about Jesus going through life. Before he was on a cross, he forgave people of their sin and he healed them. Why? He wanted to demonstrate what the kingdom of God was all about. Forgiveness and healing. Forgiveness and wholeness. It's awesome. So in Luke chapter 15, we're just going to start in verse 11. This is Jesus talking. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, father, I want right now what's coming to me. Now, some translations say he wanted his inheritance. How many know we don't get an inheritance until someone passes? Someone's got to die to get the inheritance, right? So he went to his dad before his dad died and said, I want my money I want my inheritance right now. In other words, drop dead, Dad. So he took his money. This was the father's response. Now, you've got to understand who Jesus is talking to here. In Jewish time, for you to disrespect your father in this way, you should have been reprimanded, if not stoned to death. Like, there were laws against this. You don't talk to your father this way. You don't treat him. You don't demand something that isn't yours yet. But look at the response of the father. So the father divided the property between them wait a minute, he just came and asked you for something that you didn't deserve yet, that you weren't supposed to have until he passed on. It was called an inheritance. And when the son demanded it, his answer was to divide the property between them. It goes on to say, it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he had gone through all his money, there was a bad famine all through the country and he began to hurt. He signed on with the citizen there who assigned him to his fields. Look what he has to do. To slop the pigs. To give the pigs their slop. He was so hungry. This is pretty gross. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop, but no one would give him any. I mean, he's at this point where he gets his inheritance, he takes it to a distant country, he squanders everything in party, partying, apparently I'm not a partier, partying, and, and, and wastes all his money and ends up with nothing. Then a famine comes on the land. Then as a Jewish boy, who by the way, they don't do the pork thing, he's slopping pigs and starving and wishing to even eat the corn cobs in the pig slop. That's pretty... uh. Pretty down and out, wouldn't you say? Verse 17, that brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. Now this is what he puts together. He's got this little speech because he's thinking, hey, at least as a servant or a slave of my father, I'll get three squares and a roof over my head. So what do I say in order for this to happen? He says, I'll say to my father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. So he got right up and went home to his father. You with me so far? So he's on his way home. He's starving. I don't even necessarily think that he's had a heart change necessarily. He's hungry. And he knows if even he can be a servant of his father, at least he'll get the three squares, the roof over his head, some warmth, and he'll be a little bit better off. Verse 20, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Say his father saw him. him. Now remember, this is a picture of our heavenly father. So his father saw him, his heart pounding. Think about this. Here's, Here's God, his heart pounding. Not because he's mad. How do we know that? Because it says he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. Look at the response the father has to the son who returns home. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. And then it says this, the son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. He didn't even get to the point where he said, let me be a servant when the father interrupted. In fact, it says this, but the father wasn't listening. Now, if we stop right there, I think all of us would draw a different conclusion. Well, of course he wasn't listening. I mean, look what the kid did to him. He told him to drop dead. He disowned him. He went away. And now here he is, dirty from pig slop, sweaty, nasty, starving. And he's going to come to me now? The father didn't listen. I'm so glad the story goes on. It says, but the father wasn't listening. Why? He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain fed heifer. Say, grain fed heifer. Oh, yeah. And roast it. We're going to feast. Obviously, they weren't vegetarians. He says, My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. I love this story. Because I know for a lot of us, maybe we've we've not had the best childhood. Maybe we've not been the best father or parent. A lot of times when our kids screw up, we look to punish them instead of training them for their future, training them out of those bad ideas. But I love the, the fact that in this parable, the heavenly father is represented as someone who, even when the son tried to, whether it was true or not, repent, the father cut him off. He wasn't listening to him. Why? He was so excited that his son came home. He ran to him. He fell up on his neck. The Greek says that he kissed him over and over and over, stinky, sweaty, smelly, and dirty. He embraced him and he kissed him over and over. Why? Because the father loves his son. Do you know that your dad, your heavenly father loves you the same way? This is how much he loves us. And he doesn't just love us enough to kiss on us and say, oh, I'm so glad that you're home. He goes on to restore what's been stolen, even if we're the ones that have caused it. This is the heart of the Father. I want to look at three things that the Father did here. And this is going to help us with this idea of God restoring us, the restoration of the Heavenly Father. It's the robe, the ring, and the sandals. What do these three things represent? And I want us to see something here today as we go through this, that even in your own life, you can apply this to you no matter what you've gone through. If you've gone away from the Father for a while, if maybe you were like the older brother who was working really, really hard religiously to do everything right but still didn't get your party, this applies to all of us. Number one, the robe. We're going to look at natural implication and spiritual implication. So the natural implication of the robe, we've got to think of this in this time and this day. See, robes were a part of the culture at this time. And special robes were worn by kings and priests and those who were of rank. So we got to picture this depending on what type of robe you wore, that would show your position in society. So robes were a big deal. And they could have jewels sewn into them and you know, certain threads and embroidery to let people know that you were of value of worth in society. Now, the number of robes that you had or kept in store for gifts were a big deal because to have much clothing implied the possession of wealth and of power. So we got to picture this. How how important was this robe? Now, there was a special robe and they might have had more than one in the house. The best robe is what they call it. it was a mark of special honor in a household. So a lot of times it would happen on these grand occasions when they would invite people of honor and dignitaries, they would have a special robe that when the person entered their home, the first thing that would happen is the servants would wash their feet. Because how many know if you're walking around in sandals in dirty streets, you're going to get dirty. Your feet are. So they would wash their feet, they'd towel dry them, and then the servant would bring the special or the best robe. Now this was a special robe they would put on them, and what it said was, you are honored in this household. Wouldn't it be cool to have some of these things in our houses? And people come over like, give me your coat, I'll throw it in the closet. That's okay. I'm not expecting a robe when I come over to to dinner either. But, But this was a really special time. They'd wear this robe. Now imagine you're wearing this robe as a guest of honor, and you're walking through a hallway, and you see a reflection in the mirror. You see this robe. What's it remind you of? Your honor in this household. How much they respect you in this household. So every house as far as the rich folk were concerned, had this best robe or this special robe. The father had his servants run to the house to get the best special robe to put it on the son's back. Now, this is amazing to me, especially the fact that the son probably was pretty stinky and pretty dirty. It didn't stop the father from loving him, from kissing on him and saying, servants, bring that robe of honor. Why? We want him to be honored. Now, that's the natural implication. But what is the spiritual implication? The robe equals righteousness. What's righteousness mean? Right standing with God. When the father had the servants bring the robe out and put that upon his back, what it told the son is this I'm okay with you, son. I honor you, son. But dad, I don't deserve this. No, I honor you, son. We're okay. That robe represents your rightness with me. You see, the first thing the father did is said, I'm okay with you. You're okay with me in our relationship. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, the prophet writes this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the catch this robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And then the Apostle Paul tells us this in Galatians 3:27: For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, talking to believers, into a spiritual union and communion with Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. You have put on, clothed yourself with who? Christ. You see what this represents? So the spiritual implication of the robe is rightness, okayness. And this is what happens in salvation. When we believe on Jesus, we are clothed with him. And it's the way, think about this. We're we're not going to get the Christ and put it on. It is put upon us by the Father. And he says we are okay, we are good, you're righteous, you're holy, you're pleasing, and I accept you right where you are. Do you see the implication of this? This is why this is so beautiful. So the robe represents righteousness. Number two, the ring. There's a natural implication. This was a ring that was worn by the rich. It identified what family you represented, and it carried the backing of that family. So if you had this ring on, for instance, it was like a credit card. You could go into town, into the market, stop at the restaurant, grab some clothing, whatever. And what would happen is they'd say, "Uh, form of payment, sir? Apple Pay? Uh, No, I don't have Apple Pay, sir. It's like 2,000 years from now. But anyway, they'd say, what's your form of payment? And they would pull up that hand with that ring on it, and they would punch that clay tablet. And that would say, good to go. Oh, 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 that's the family? Okay, this this is backed by the family. You'll take care of that. It's on credit. No big deal. We're not worried. You're from that family. See how important that ring was? The ring represented the family. It was like a credit card. Common people didn't wear this ring. There weren't poor people in that day who had those rings on and they could punch the clay tablet. It It didn't work that way. They had to have some form of trade or money. See, the son was put into a position of authority to represent his family again. So not only did the father say, we're okay, son. Think about this. He didn't just say, we're okay. He said, now here's the ring. I trust you. Now this is a son who just took his full inheritance, squandered everything in lavish living comes back, the father says, we're okay now, and then he gives him the authority and trusts him to handle it responsibly. Now, how many of us parents would do that with our kids? We'd be like, let's wait a couple weeks and see here, right? The point is, God doesn't withhold anything from us, even the authority. The spiritual implication is this, the ring equals authority, In Genesis, we read this in 41, verse 2. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it onto Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Now why is this important? When he put Joseph as the second in command, he said, here's my ring, you have my authority. Do you know that Jesus did the same thing for us? He said in Matthew 28 18 through 20, he says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go. What does that mean? It means that Jesus trusts us with his authority. What do we do? We go and make disciples of all nations. What is that? It means we literally have the authority to go to people and say, I'm in the family of God. Would you like to be? I have the authority to present you with this new way of living where you're completely in right standing with God and you too can have the same authority to to expand the kingdom through the planet. And he trusts us with that. You know, I've heard a lot and I've even taught a lot of messages about do you really trust the Lord? Do you really trust the Lord? And I believe we should trust the Lord, right? We have to get to that point. Trust means faith. Faith. But you know that the Lord trusts you? See, when I realized that the Lord actually trusted me, it brought a new responsibility to me. And I thought, wow, this kingdom business is the real deal. Uh, This isn't just about me talking to God and hopefully you can help me out of all my stuff. Sure, we can start at that place. But eventually we grow through his grace to the point where we turn outward and we see others to have value just like we have value. You know that spot you were in at one point where you didn't think you had value? And the Heavenly Father says, I do value you. Eventually, you turn your gaze outward to others and say, wow, I value people too. You look at humanity differently. You look at those who are oppressed, those who are in slavery, those who are in bondage, those who are struggling and suffering, and you see them in a different light. And you're like, God, what is it I can do with my sphere of influence to help bring your kingdom to a hurting world? What would the world look like if we as believers really believed in the righteousness and the authority that God has given us? See, we've been put into a position of authority. We represent the Father and the kingdom of God. How many can say hallelujah to that? Hallelujah. So the ring equals authority. Number three, the sandals. What's the natural implication of this? Well, first of all, servants or poor people at this time didn't have nice sandals, if any at all. In fact, many were barefoot. They couldn't afford sandals. Now, for the rich, they had very cushy, nice, this is, this is true, very cushy, nice, leather-type sandals that actually had straps and things where they could time up their legs. And this would represent, when you saw someone go through, think about this, you saw that, that robe and those sandals, you go, wow, that's a person of honor. That, that's a really special person there. So in this natural implication, it really mattered because servants or slaves or poor people didn't have sandals, or if they did, they were very cheaply made. But the sons did have the sandals. And I think about the son as he came back. He's venturing home, and here he is. He's in the pig slop. He he's, he's having you know this the, this idea of if I could just be a servant. But I'm imagining his feet. I mean, his feet were probably bare probably beaten, bleeding, bruised. And as he comes forward to the father, as the father runs to him, he gives him the robe, he gives him the ring. He says, we're okay, he gives him authority. But then it says that he placed sandals upon his feet. See, sandals were significant in showing your position in society. And here the father is, this son who, let's be honest, he didn't deserve this. He squandered everything. And even if he, he was truly sorry, it's like, well, I forgive you, but, you know, I, I guess you lost it, so sure, you can be a servant. No. He says, you're my son. I honor you. I respect you. Here's your authority, and here's sandals, which I'll put on your feet right now. What is the spiritual implication? The sandals equal position. Do you know that your position to your father Is a position of son or daughter. It's hard for a lot of us to see this, but when when God was speaking to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, it says, When the Lord saw that he turned aside the sea, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. How many have heard of the burning bush, right? So he says, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am, but listen to what God says to him. He said, Do not come near, take off your sandals take those sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now I want us to see something. Before this new way of living through Christ, man had to remove their sandals in the presence of God. But now we can come boldly into our Father's presence without shame. Why? He changed our position. We are no longer servants. We are now sons. We've been restored to sonship. Now when I say sonship that isn't just for the guys, that's guys and gals, it's talking about humanity, okay? We have been restored to sonship. And in Hebrews the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4:16, "Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need." Now think about this. In the old way, remove those sandals. In the new way, you can approach boldly. Why? everything's changed. We're no longer servants. Now I get the idea of serving the Lord. I think it's great. It's okay to say that I'm a servant of God. I serve God. But see, it's different when you serve him as a son or a daughter than as a slave. Does that make sense? As a servant doing his bidding. Why is that? Because as sons and daughters, we have the same heart as our father. And so what we're doing, it's not even that God is like, I'm going to make you expand the kingdom. I'm going to make you love people. I'm going to make you share peace and love with others. No, no, no. That's our heart because it's our father's heart. And when we go about kingdom business, we're simply doing it out of his love for us, realizing that the world needs their father. And so that's why we are in the business of restoring people as well. I was thinking about this. Rough roads are better traveled with a good pair of shoes. When we go through hard times in life, we go down those rough roads, and some of you are going through that stuff right now. We get to depend on God. Those sandals that he gave us, we can walk above the circumstances of life. Why? Because it's the position we now have because of what Christ has done. We are now in Christ He's given us the robe. He's given us the ring. He's given us the sandals. He's given us right standing. He's given us authority. And he's given us a position as sons and daughters to expand the kingdom, to walk above the circumstances. Doesn't mean the circumstances aren't there. They're still there, but we can choose to say, God, I'm going to walk above the circumstances. I'm gonna trust you and your promises for my life. You see, God has restored us. And not only that, he equips us for this walk of life. God puts us in position for what he's called us to be and for every step that we have to take. How? By giving us right standing, authority, and sonship. I want to close with this final verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 11, it says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Listen to this. Aim for restoration comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And then it says this, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So first of all, what I'm seeing here is not only does God restore us to position, he expects us to do the same with others, to to be in that ministry of reconciliation. God has brought you into favor with him, and now I'm going to preach that message, share that message with you. But what's interesting here is he says to aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. This is a lifestyle, right? And he says this, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, depending on what lens we look at this through, we could say, okay, if if you're doing the stuff, then God will be with you. But let me say something. He made a promise. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. This is what's beautiful about the word with here. It's the word meta in Greek, and it means he is present to guide and to help. What Paul is saying is to live a life of restoration, to live a life of comforting one another, to live a life where we're in agreement and we live in peace, you can only do it when God's present to guide you through life. It's not a threat, it's a promise. He's not saying God will leave you if you don't. He's saying the only way you can walk this out is because of his presence in your life. Isn't that beautiful? So when you look at someone walking out peace and love, comforting others, caring for people, looking outward, you can go, wow, they're tuned into the Spirit right now. They're allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them through life. Isn't that beautiful? So what are the three things we looked at today as believers we can count on promises to us? First of all, we're in right standing with God. Secondly, he has given us the same authority that he has in this world. And thirdly, We're sons and we're daughters. This is restoration. We're not only redeemed, we're also restored. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your goodness. It's your kindness, it's your goodness that brings us to repentance, It brings us to a point where we change our mind about you and about ourselves we thank you for restoration, that you're in the restoration business. In fact, it's not just about a ticket to heaven. It's about restoring our lives here and now. And for a lot of us, it's it's more in the soul realm than anything else. The mind, will, and emotions, man, sometimes they can be just crazy and screwy and haywire. I thank you, Father, that you are in the restoration business. You want to restore those areas of our life that have been broken and hurt. That's what salvation is. It's deliverance, it's preservation, safety, it's healing, it's wholeness. That's what you brought to us. I pray that every person here today would would see that and take it as real, take it as true, that they would believe you for those areas of their life where they still struggle, where there has been hurt, there have been issues, they've been mistreated, they've had broken relationships. I pray that every person would see you as the great restorer, that you desire to restore those areas in our lives. If you're here today and you would say, I've never made a decision to believe on Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And I'm hearing what you're saying and I've definitely got some areas in my life that I need some restoration. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I want to make the decision for Jesus. All you have to do is simply say yes to Jesus. It's just an outward way to say, something inside is different. I see things differently. I thank you for every person here today. I just pray for those who have made that decision that you now, Holy Spirit, live on the inside of them, that you're leading them, you're directing them in life. And I thank you again for full restoration in areas of our life because you are the great restorer. Bless your people today as we go through this Christmas season even, that we wouldn't get so caught up in stuff that we'd forget about you. We get so caught up in, in in presence and things that we would forget about others. But that we, just like you, the great restorer, would be in the business of restoring people. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always...